When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled, I think it might be a working title, I don't know, but Make Web Development Easy, Avoid Needless Complexities. We liked this title, we kind of did a bit of a title brainstorm, because this episode is actually inspired by a Syntax FM clip that I saw on Instagram, the link to which will be in the show notes, of course. But basically, this episode is going to be about avoiding needless complexities. So when you go to a project, you know, how feasible is it if somebody says to you, hey, I have a small business and I would like to you'd like for you to basically make me a digital poster. This would be a poster that I would normally hang up, but I, you know, we're going online a bit and I just have this really simple thing that's going to be consumable. There's an event next week, make it, put it up there, and that's it. And then you go out and you get WordPress going, you get a headless CMS going, you get React and all these other crazy things. And those, to me, are needless complexities. And so we're going to explore why these complexities will sneak in where they shouldn't. There's actually a bit of a bonus thing that we just came up with as to when you should add complexities. There's a bit of a devil's advocate section as well. And also why you should be choosing the right tool for the job, how that will help you combat adding these needless complexities and why you should be doing that, why you should be choosing the right tool for the job. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And like I said earlier, the inspiration for this episode was a Syntax FM Instagram reel, which was a clip actually from episode 696. I will put a link to both of those in the show notes. But basically in this clip, Scott discusses that you don't need all this stuff like CDNs and load balancers and all those stuff to create a site and that you can just use HTML and CSS and that you can just say make a personal website and just have Use FTP on a shared hosting, on a shared hosting plan with your HTML and CSS. You know, I'm paraphrasing a bit now, but that's basically what he's saying. And this resonated with me because we have so many times taken a client who's come to us with just an astronomical project, but an astronomical cost of cost of what they're doing. What I mean by that is, is we've had people contact us saying, hey, we have 300, 300 hits a month and we're paying $3,000 a month in fees. And, you know, how do we get this cost down? And we look at it and we go, why do you have a CRM? Why is it connected to some enterprise, you know, special analytics tool that isn't Google Analytics? Why is it in, entangled into a mobile app? Why do you have a chat bot that is, does not have an AI involved? So there's no AI there. There's no uh, auto filling sort of, hey, you know, I want the phone number and a bot replies just with the phone number. There's none of that. It's just a chatbot that's sitting inactive because no one is manning it. No one is using the chatbot. No one's on the other end. So you have all these complexities and all these things, and you've purchased, let's say, like an enterprise package from a major web development agency, and you have 300 hits a month, and you're happy with that. You're happy with the 300 hits a month. You're making money. Your your customers are happy with it, and that's it. And so how many times, Mike, have we gone in and actually downsized somebody or just said, no, we're going to restart and you you need like a Wix site, you need a Webflow site, or you maybe need a WordPress site? It's been a lot. Um, I think I've had like multiple discussions with people across several different projects. Like this is coming from both a client and, you know, customer perspective and both and from like more of a dev in team perspective where People will suggest, hey, shouldn't we use this really complex system, AWS? Example, AWS every time. Shouldn't we just use AWS to host our simple website? And I will say, nope, 99% of the time. AWS is great. AWS is a fantastic tool that changed the way hosting has has been done 
for everyone, right? Like it's, it is an infrastructure level amazing tool. It is not for 99% of people, of development teams. It's not for 99% of clients. It's too complex and adds too much overhead from a development, from a perspective of server management, tool management versus something like Matt will mention, like an, the typical FTP structure with Apache, like you just drag and drop files and all the way up to a CI, CL tool like Vercel, right? Like you, you can do everything you need between those two. If you need AWS as like a solo developer or a small team, you need to start rethinking how your development structure is working and how everything is working and hiring and stuff like that versus trying to, you know, pigeonhole yourself into a more complex system just for the sake of complexity. The thing the thing with that type of stuff, too, is that you're bumping up against other professions and you're you're starting to look at other things. And we've we've had guests on the show where we've ask them about the networking of their of their website or the networking of their web app and they have no idea what I'm talking about it's sort of like hey like what, what is networking and whether that's been on air or you know behind the behind the uh, when we have like a call with them before we we have them on the show like I don't think there's been a single person maybe there's been one single instance that I can think of off the top of my head in which the we've asked about networking and they've known about it. Cause Mike, you and I've also obviously come from it. We're aware of networking. We're aware of like the cables, the switches, the routers, the firewalls, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And we're aware of all that stuff. And yet, you know, web developers are often not aware of any of it, but rely on all of it. There wouldn't be websites without any of that stuff. And this is one thing that I do want to touch on is that, Technology as it sits, and obviously we're going to focus on web development, really does span professions. And so the tech field, I'm going to divide it into hardware and software, of course. Those are sort of the traditional. But I also want to add networking in there because the internet and, and connectivity is so important that, yes, I know networking involves hardware and software. But I'm adding that in there because it's almost like a whole different way of thinking. You have to learn, you know, Cisco iOS or any of the other manufacturers out there. I think HP makes some stuff and all that stuff. Big IP makes load balancers. You have to learn how to configure all that stuff and hook it up physically, right? And these areas, so the hardware, the software, and the networking, they all span a whole bunch of different fields and different careers. These things span electrical engineering, material uh, procurement logistics, literally bringing the stuff in. Where do we order this stuff? How do we get it here? How heavy is it? Do we do we get it by ship? Do we get it by plane? How much of it? Do we need literally 10,000 Ethernet cables? This isn't an Amazon order sometimes. This is I have to go to the source because I might clear out their warehouse. I need 10,000 of these. You have a warehouse of 5,000. How can we make an order of 10,000 work? Data center management is another area in which people will literally manage data centers where they will mount servers on racks and, and source the proper racks and have the proper cooling systems and have the pro- that and then facilities gets involved in that. And the reason why I specifically mention these fields and I didn't mention development is because they have nothing that I know of to do with programming. Maybe data center management does a little bit of kind of programming with configuring switches and routers and maybe like a little bit on the servers they can do something. But these areas are completely tech related. These are tech fields. And when we talk about complexities, we're talking in websites, in web development. These three areas that I've talked about, the hardware, the software, and the networking are all covered. Hosting and servers are hardware. They require a data center or at least a half decent server. They require that server is a piece of hardware somewhere, whether it's virtualized or not. Even the virtualized hardware is still on a physical server. At the end of the day, there's a physical server somewhere that is drawing power and is networked to work and is networked to be accessible. There's software involved, obviously. That's the website itself. That's the stuff that we're touching as web developers the most commonly. We're messing with the website itself and the related services that it touches, talking to APIs and all those type of things. And then the networking, of course, ensuring that the site is available to connect to and view. We've all been there where we've had our ISP go down for the day. That's a networking problem, but that does stop you from working unless you have a backup of some sort that 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 kills your working that can stack can happen to a data center. If a data center has two redundant lines and both of them get destroyed in construction, 
hey, that website is down for all intents and purposes. And it's not like you go in and you just shut off all the plugins like you do with WordPress troubleshooting and see which one's the problem. No, you have to wait for someone to fix that, fix that networking and make sure that the networking comes back up and is configured the same or similar enough so that it will work the way you expect it to. So the point that I'm making here is that different areas of tech can easily bump into each other. Like, like with web developers, multiple professions are bumping into each other. When we were in IT, we used to talk to, to data center management. When we were in IT, we would talk to the logistics people. If we needed Ethernet cables, we'd have to talk to either the logistics or the material procurement, all those things, right? All these professions bump up against each other and they work together to get the job done. Now, a couple of weeks ago in the episode, and this is our episode, are we expecting too much from our web developers? We discussed all the things that web developers are expected to know in what I'm calling, quote unquote, modern web development, meaning JavaScript frameworks and those type of things like React, full stack developer, let's say, and how difficult it is to figure out what you need to learn and then actually learn it. The actual questions that you ask need to be researched. You need to research what questions you need to ask, and then you need to learn how to get the answer and then figure out your like in your own head how to make the answer work. Like if I'm like, how do I get a to-do app to work on Svelte? It's not just that easy because it's like, well, do you have Node in your, on your computer? Are you on Windows? Are you on Linux? Like where are you at? Are you using the CLI? So there's a lot of complexities here. And a lot of the difficulties that we discussed in this episode stem from the complexities that web developers face because web development, like many other tech fields, span many different professions and fields. Off the top of my head, these complexities and topics include HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and that's just the start. Then you have a framework, sometimes more than one, so React or Vue or whatever. Then you have to continually learn, so you have to learn what changes were made as frameworks update because you're presumably not only going to be employed for like a year and then <laughs> then disappear to obscurity. Hosting selection and configuration. This is a hardware thing, really. You know, how how capable is your is the, the host? How reliable is the host? And this has been consumerized to an extent where you can go on and see, oh, I got 99.99% uptime and you know this will run WordPress and there has there is a there is a consumer angle. But the instant you outgrow that, like Mike's saying with AWS, you outgrow it. Now all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, like uh, what do we put together here? Like, do you need load balancing? Do you need a CDN? Do you need to cache more? How do you get the workload to be less? We've had problems in the past where we've used full on. Well, actually, just to be honest, we used Moodle. We used Moodle for a project. And one of the things it was doing was we had several courses listed and the server would just fail to log in. It would just fail you to log in sometimes and keep kind of giving you like a busy signal, like the server's busy. And we kept thinking to ourselves, why is this? There's not that many people on the site. We haven't seen an influx in traffic. What it was, was Moodle was calling out to each of these courses to generate the list Whenever, whenever someone logged in, so it has the, the, the server has the load of logging in and the server also has the load of talking to every single course of which there were several. Like I think it might have been like 40 of them. And then it's also getting all the details. Do you have an image? Do you have a description? Let's get the name listed. Let's get, let's get the links. And it's trying to do that. And it just gets smashed with this. The, the, the fix was dump the person when they're logged into another page that doesn't have that. So that just goes to their courses, but also paginate the courses. So it only loads five courses at a time alphabetically. But that is something that is complex. That is something that as in like a normal web developer, let's say, I would struggle to troubleshoot that. I would not really know what is going on. That's more backend. That's also a bit of server stuff. That's a lot of those type of things. We also have server admin, the server admin side of things, which is its own in its own right, its own um, a career path, really. And that's DevOps, setting up the servers and setting up the networking and setting up the tools just so that web developers can work and do the job and set up the test beds and do whatever you need to do. DevOps is something that a lot of just full stack developers just quote unquote do by themselves. This is a, it's also a career path that somebody can go down and not touch making websites barely ever. So this is this is where these complexities really come. And not to mention, like Mike's mentioned a few times, writing tests, that's Q&A. And Q&A is a career on its own. We're starting to see that if you're into gaming. 
kind of game developers are kind of more opening up and showing some of their staff and they'll bring out, you know, at a conference, they'll bring out the head of QA and talk about how they squashed all these bugs or how they troubleshoot things. That person is just in QA and web developers are doing their own QA sometimes. And yes, small businesses or whatever, people wear multiple hats and this is maybe something that's not new, but this is a convoluted mess of skills and tools that leaves many web developers overcomplicating their project in the name of, quote unquote, the modern way of doing things. Oh, this is the modern way of doing it. I don't like how the old ways were with HTML and CSS. So I'm going to do the modern way. And then it's like, oh, God, something weird went wrong. And I have no idea what it is. Oh, it's because my headless CMS, I didn't pay for the subscription, but then it failed to like cash the, you know what I mean? Like, and there's the complexity. Like there's something that <laughs> like you've been in the field for seven years. You've never seen this before. And all of a sudden some crazy problem arised, but how many crazy problems are going to arise if you're just using HTML and CSS? I mean, oh my God, my, my like div isn't centering, you know, and yeah, it, it's not easy to fix necessarily, but you know where to look, <laughs> you know, to look in the HTML file and you know, to look at the CSS file or files. That's where you look. You don't go, okay, did I pay this thing? And then what's the cash at? Okay. Is it load balancing to the East server? Cause East server, the, the patch is rolling out. Chaos, chaos. And so these needless complexities and these like really just web development come from the field spanning professions and really spanning career paths and having people wear multiple hats when maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's an interesting take, uh, the spanning professions thing, because it, it is it can introduce needless complexities, but it can also like. Web development is in a state where we're trying to make it easier to span professions, right? Like that's like, like Matt, you mentioned the consumerization of it, right? The consumerization of servers that's happening on a crazy level with something like Vercel, Netlify and GitHub pages, right? Like where all you have to do to get your site live is have it in a GitHub repo and then attach it to one of these services and it'll handle everything for you in terms of like building a new version every time you commit and managing your scaling and doing all of your uh, logging services for you and monitoring services and even analytics. Like it's starting to get to the point where like literally all of the professions that Matt said is done by kind of one or two services and it's tough to say if that's increasing complexity or in fact decreasing it from a level of, you know, even even the simplest level. So like uh, the simplest level I mean is FTP server with Apache drag and dropping an HTML and a CSS file, right? Like that's I would would you agree Matt that's the simplest version of web development like getting a project live? I'd say it's the simplest. I will like I would like to add something though is that the consumerization of that could still cost stuff. Like it, there is still a web host now that is there maintaining a, a data center or a section of a data center. And then there's support staff waiting for you to ask questions like, Hey, I uploaded my WordPress site. It didn't work. And then they can go in and look. So there is still somebody doing that. Yes. And you're, you're usually paying for that service. Right. Like there are some free tier plans, but I've mentioned before in earlier episodes, you should never rely on a free tier. And most free tier plans technically don't allow you to host product like um, not production level. You can host your own personal projects, no problem, but they're not supposed to be used for commercial projects. Like you shouldn't be hosting your clients projects on a free tier. It's against their TOS. They could technically take it down any time. Uh, and nor should you rely on a free tier because a month down the line, they might be like, this is too expensive. We're charging everyone. So like, it's going to cost you down the line, maybe more from a like actual like wallet money perspective, but they are meant to solve a lot of these complex pro complexity problems for you in terms of like, you no longer need a DevOps department and you no longer need server balancing and, and uh, server management. And you no longer need that thing that whatever else that like con continuous integration tooling or a continuous integration engineer, like all of these things that Matt was mentioning, there's even more layers inside them where like someone was just handling pipelines, like uh, building pipelines for all of the apps of a company. So like when you're, 
stuff goes into the dev folder, it, we need to put it on the dev server. And then when stuff goes into the staging folder, we need to put it on the staging server. And so, so that we can have our QAs go in and test on different servers. Like all of that was a, a job as well. And that's, you know, for small teams, that's being phased out, phased out into more. I, again, I, I have a hard time with like, is this needless complexity or is this actually the opposite where like you're making it easier? It is still being done in the background, but who cares mm-hmm. if it's being done in the background as long as there's a support team, you know, help, helping you. That's 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 kind of where I, I'm having trouble drawing the line here. Well, I think I think the needless complexity argument is is really when you forget oftentimes about the goal of the site or of the, the of the project or the product and you just start adding Things like, for example, a WordPress site that is there for an event. It was, you know, the event was scheduled last minute and the WordPress site is is only going to be useful for a few months. But you need the WordPress site because people are going to be doing blog posts and those type of things. So you need let's just say that that's the, the the bare minimum tool we need. I mean, should somebody be in there for hours upon hours optimizing it? If it's like a consumable site, as long as the site is, you know, good enough at that point. Like, should you really be looking at, you know, the most advanced way to cache things and the most advanced like, no, like make it good, make it, you know, working in a fair enough way. And then you move on. You kind of like take the small business approach at that point, whereas like some some web agencies or just some web developers would say, no, you know, that's the improper way to do it. Like there is no compromise in, in, in that way. And so it's almost like some people will choose a way that they consider the modern way or the proper way or the way to do it. And then they, they will never compromise. And we've seen this when we see quotes from other web agencies, when people come to us and they go, man, there's somebody quoted me 26 grand and I just needed to list a couple of pictures. And it's because, well, yeah, because they have some, some whole, like they, they're using a, you know, an enterprise CMS and they don't stray from it because that's the way that they do the business. Whereas someplace like us, when we do work for people, we look at them, we go, okay, I mean, how much time are you going to put into the, how much time are you going to put into the site? Like that is a, a critical question that we ask people more recently. We've started doing that because they're like, there's, there's the project when you look at it in sort of uh, isolation, but then there's also the project in the real world of how much time are people really going to put into this? If, if these people want to leave this thing running and they don't want to do any maintenance, they don't want to pay. It's like, okay, well, maybe WordPress isn't it. Maybe we should be going to a Wix, a Squarespace or a Webflow. Like maybe that's the path. And I think that people do forget the project. Like they look at the project from a technical in technical isolation and they forget that humans are interacting with it and humans are using it. And then these complexities start piling on because they go, oh, no, we need the best caching in the business. Like, well, do you? Having built a computer recently or buying the parts to build a computer, like there's compromises involved, right? Uh, you know, like I'd love for all this stuff to be RGB, but there's a bunch of we're going to need to buy another controller. I don't want to spend a hundred bucks on another controller. There's a compromise. OK, we're buying less RGB as an example, right? Whereas people that are super into building computers might be like, I will not compromise on the RGB. I won't compromise on anything. So if you can't afford it, we wait. We're not building this. And so that's, I think, one of the kind of key ways that complexities sort of weasel their way in and then they end up being needless. Um, part of this episode is actually also inspired by Jack Forge on Twitter. This is actually something he tweeted earlier in the year in February. I'll have a link to it. And he says, uh, if a developer ever says, ever says, quote, I'm just building a simple blog, end quote, it means that they're going to spend 500 hours creating a custom CMS to write two blog posts. And That's right. You know, it's basically a meme at this point that web developers that will want to create just a personal blog for themselves or maybe they post even personal stuff. Like literally, they're just talking about their travels and they're not talking about development or they do a mix of it, right, where they talk about, oh, I learned this in development. Yesterday, I walked my dog, you know, whatever it is. And because they're web developers, they'll bring in a ton of different technologies. They'll create a custom CMS and all this stuff that needs to be maintained and deployed by a convoluted custom procedure of their own making. Or they could have just went to WordPress, not even WordPress.org and downloaded and hosted it. They could have went to WordPress.com and then just had the blog because the goal is oftentimes forgotten. The goal here is I just want a personal blog. Like, like at the end of the day, I want to write about my work and 
my work and personal travels. That's what I want to do. Well, what suits that goal? You don't look at the website and go, we need the best website possible. We need AWS. We need load balancing for what? The 40 people that are going to go to your personal blog because it's like more or less for your family members. So th- like that's how the meme, right? That's how the meme and that's how the um, that's how really cost how cost balloon and that's how complexities get moved in. I agree that it should always be goal oriented, right? Like it should always be like if 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 you're a developer and you want to create a blog about dog leashes because you're just passionate about dog leashes and your your goal is to just express your passion about dog leashes or maybe even to monetize that passion uh, into selling dog leashes on your site, right? Like, I mean, we'll talk about e-commerce in a second, but like, then at that point, building a custom e-commerce platform with a custom payment provider and a custom CMS to manage your your dog leash site is completely useless. Like, you're wasting time, you're wasting resources, you're never going to get it done. And if you are, it's going to be two blog posts and you're done because you're going to burn out and you're mm-hmm. going to forget a little thing here and it's going to crash and you're going to leak customer data. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But... I do want to kind of express why most of the time (laughs) a developer will build a custom, like a blog, which is a super simple thing that's been done a million times in a custom way. And that is because most of the time for a developer, it is their portfolio that they care about more than the result of the actual project, right? Like if the blog to them is part of their portfolio, if they're writing about web development, Mm -hmm. just Personally, I think that the it is kind of important to have a good website from a technological perspective, right? Like if if they're trying to get a job and they and their employer goes to their website and it's running on WordPress.com, that could affect them getting the job. Personally, you, you so okay. So let me ask you this then. Yes. So personal, like a personal website or. A personal portfolio website. So for one person, not a company. If I said, you know what, I've made, you know, six projects in whatever. And, you know, whether it's WordPress, whether it's this, these are professional projects that I'd like to show off. And, uh, you know, I'm working on the seventh. To me, I think, okay, yeah, I could make my eighth project the actual site itself. But I could just go to WordPress.com or I could just go to Webflow. And I don't think that's outrageous myself. And the reason why is because... The person shows up. I mean, yeah, they might go, oh, this is WordPress. Why, you know, why, why is that? If they're looking for a custom code, but then they go to my projects list and my, my custom coded projects are all there. So they like, they're seeing them. They're not, they're not going, oh, this guy sometimes uses WordPress though. Like, would they really get, do you think that they would really get hung up on that? Like, I, I absolutely get the idea of using, using the, the, the custom blog. As a piece of the portfolio, but I'm saying that if it is not a piece of the portfolio, if you think I have eight projects, seven projects, six projects, and I'd prefer to continue developing those, and I do not want to spend time making the actual por- like the the portfolio site part of my portfolio, like do you think that that almost needs a disclaimer? I would think that it. I'm not a hiring manager, but I don't think personally it does. So I'll explain uh, the process, like my thought process here. And I, like I have hired, like I've, I've hired like, you know, a handful of people and I've gone through interviews and stuff like that. And I've looked at portfolios. My perspective is coming from mostly front end with a little bit of full stack, right? Like that's, that's usually who I'm hiring, a front end developer with a little bit of full stack knowledge. I'd, I want to like it, the, the portfolio is part, like the portfolio is part of it. And like where they're hosting their portfolio, how they made their portfolio, in my eyes, is part of the demonstration that they've shown me. You, If I'm a hiring manager for a back-end job, this becomes a little bit of a different conversation. Like I wouldn't care so much what they used to host their code or to host their, you know, projects. If they're using WordPress, I wouldn't give a crap. Like it wouldn't matter to me because I'm looking at it directly for back-end stuff. But when it's front end, it would just be weird to me if they're applying for a React job or a Svelte job and they show me a WordPress site hosting their Svelte projects. It, it wouldn't be a, it would not be something that would like, you know, I would just ignore them. 
I would still look at their projects and decide based on their projects. I'd still look at that and that would be a big consideration, but it would be a question mark for me. I would definitely ask it in the interview. Um, and it would just be something that like, I would prefer it if they were to be using something other than a ready to made service for their portfolio. Because again, it, in my eyes, the, their portfolio is part of their portfolio, if that makes sense. See, the thing is, though, is like we're using Word, uh, Webflow for the HTML, all the things website. And yet we talk about, you know, Svelte and React and all kinds of things. But and I know that in the beginning we did get some feedback from our mods at the time where they said, like, why would you go to a ready made thing? And the idea was, yeah, but we built we built one in React or something. I forget what you built it in. Maybe it was Vue. And it was a pain. Like it was like, hey, Mike, I need a toggle. And, you know, you're balancing regular work and then this. So then it's like that toggle takes six weeks. Whereas in we're in in Webflow, I can just quickly add the toggle and you could say, oh, my like, Matt, why didn't you just do it? It's like I'm also editing the show here and also doing <laughs> doing client work. So like it's a means to an end. Like to me, it's and we'll get into this a lot in this episode later, is that it's the it's the tool for the job. It's the right to me. It's the right tool for the job. And again, like the the Webflow thing for us, and it, it came down to the fact that neither of us had the time to actually maintain a fully custom platform or even a half custom platform or whatever we would have chosen. Uh, and that's why we went with Webflow. We're not trying to get a job with the that site. That's number one, right? So that's that's a different thing. The, the portfolio would be a little bit easier to maintain and build in my eyes. Um, there's plenty of different tools that will allow you for that. And it's, I think there, it, it is a little bit different between our situation and theirs. Having said that, at some point, I would love, if I had the time, I would love to rebuild the HTML thing site in a fully custom platform. What's hilarious is, is you want to do that. And I, I think, oh, maybe we'll go to WordPress one day or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah, we have differing thoughts on that. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, that's, that's totally normal. But like, yeah, I would, I would love to rebuild it completely well maybe not completely custom i'd probably still use like a headless cms or something so we didn't have to rebuild that from scratch but i i would like a like a, a custom front end and stuff like that and that headless cms comment though is something that resonates with me because like you're saying oh you know when you when you build your custom portfolio site as a part of your portfolio it you know it's not a big deal because you have all these tools i mean wordpress is a tool to me I don't know if I'm maybe I'm too objective. But, no, or? no, no. But if you're going for a WordPress job, then it makes sense. But oh, if of course, you're not, yes. Yeah, if you're not going for a WordPress job, then it makes less sense. Do you remember we we had a couple of people in our program in college get hired by Google? Now we weren't doing web development too much. We had one development one web development course. We were mostly doing embedded programming. But they, I believe, had a blogger site, which is like even more obscure. You know, it's kind of lost. It's kind of been lost to obscurity. I think it's still around. They, they weren't they weren't hired for web development though. They were hired for embedded systems or something like that, I remember. So again, it's it, it it's is an, different, yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. Like again, like if it's a back end developer, even if it's a back end web developer, I wouldn't care if they had a WordPress site. It's just it's just the fact that personally I mostly interview front end full stack developers. Right. And therefore I it it does come up and it does matter to a certain degree. That's where I draw the line. Like it, it, it's very much contextual. Yeah, because to me, it's like I would prefer for my portfolio to be up all the time. And if it is like something like WordPress, then I can just quickly update it. If I may, if I am using the right plugins, really the right tools for the job, where most of the time it's just a couple clicks. Wait a few minutes. OK, is it good? Check things and check a few things out. Yep, it's working. And then I move on, you know, and then sometimes roll back if there's any sort of problem. Whereas like I would prefer to not like like to me, we're adding complexities to it for the sake of adding the compl the complexities to it. It's like, oh, I'm OK if you use Svelte, but like I'm also OK if you use like a plug in for the nav bar, a plug in for the headers, a plug in for the for the CMS with the rich with the rich text field in the title, uh, a custom, you know, a CMS thing where you're allowed to add toggle switches and stuff like that. It's like, hang on. So you're not a fan of using a tool that does all that, but you're okay with me Lego bricking it together. And yes, I get it. Like, again, if the portfolio site is a part of the portfolio, but just to me, I just think that that, like, my goal would be to have the site up. Like, if I make my own personal portfolio site in, you know, next year, if I decide to do that, like, right now, my thought is maybe I'll do it in Svelte as a Svelte learning project. There's an idea that, like, that's one. But, 
if I really want the site to be up and running, I kind of would probably go WordPress or Webflow. But but who cares if the site is up and running? That's my question. Like, why do you care that the site is always up? Like, this isn't a critical tool that's going to revolutionize the industry or, you know, need 100% uptime. If, if it's down for 1%, it, you're, you know, your company is dead. This is a personal project where I'll explain why it's a kind of almost important that it goes down. During the interview process, a lot of times you'll go through situations where they'll ask you, how did you deal with your site going down or how did you deal with a project that died? And if you don't have real real life experience and you don't have any actual projects deployed and in production, your portfolio might be the only project that you have. And a lot of times when you build with like a custom blog or portfolio, you go through these growing pains like you're mentioning, Matt. Like you'll go through situations where your site goes down because mm-hmm. you forgot to renew a subscription to your headless CMS. Like I, I laughed at that because that's absolutely 100% a real thing, right? Like that is something that's like, it's happened to me. It's happened to everyone that's, that, that's done this stuff or the headless CMS itself goes down, whatever. Like you will go through these situations, but in the portfolio is the place where you should be okay with it going down. And in fact, like, let's say worst case scenario, it goes down even during your interview or something. I would use it as an opportunity to be like, Hey, how do we get it back up? Like, show me how you would do it. I would impromptu, like have that as a coding challenge where they could just go through their process of debugging and like show me that process. So I I don't think that the portfolio needs to be this robust application with 100% uptime. It needs to be this experimental playground where I can where you can talk about it from a from a production sense that like hey, this is up and I've had to deal with these struggles and I've had to, you know, right before an interview I had to like redo the configuration and redeploy it, et cetera, et cetera. Like all these experiences that you could have, that you wouldn't have had if you would have gone to an enterprise solution. Sure. But I would argue that those things can be done in the portfolio projects. Like, like the portfolio site is listing the eight projects or whatever it is. That's, I think we're just like splitting hairs where like, to me, I'm thinking, I don't want to deal with the portfolio. The portfolio is a means to an end. I just want this to, I just want people to be able to see my projects, but then I'll deal with the uptime or the configurations or whatever of the, the seven, eight projects that it's listing. And, and, and again, it's not a deal breaker. Like it would not, if you have projects that are live, if you have really nice projects that you're just showcasing and I see that I would, I wouldn't care as much. Like I, I wouldn't care as much. It's just like a lot of times, again, the site that, that the portfolio I'm looking at, all the projects are like demo projects. They're all not live. They're just GitHub repos. And the only thing that's really live is the portfolio project. Okay, the portfolio in that case, site. sure. That makes yeah. sense then. Yeah. So to kind of like get back to like the, you know, the, the, the cross profession, you know, needless complexity kind of angle of this in 2023, at the end of the day, even now moving into 2024, which is coming up quick, you can still make a website with just HTML if you want with no styling. Chances are you're going to want HTML and CSS so you can actually style the thing. And then you can use shared hosting via uploading files via FTP. You're able to do that still. That sounds like the old school way of doing it. It kind of is, but a lot of places do it. We do it for certain customers, of course. So absolutely still valid. A modern and successful blog can be made on WordPress.com or using a WordPress hosting plan meaning it's the WordPress sort of WordPress.org, like the WordPress proper self-hosted, but you've gone to a hosting company and just purchased their web WordPress hosting plan, which basically makes that part of the, the job consumerized. So you can absolutely do that and still have a modern and successful blog. And a small e-commerce website can be made with Webflow e-commerce, uh, WordPress plus something like a WooCommerce plugin or Squarespace or Wix. So these things, you know, if you're a person that says, I really want to sell, like Mike said, dog leashes, you want to write blog, you want to write blog posts about dog leashes, you want to review them and you also want to sell them. Um, I mean, do you really want to deal with all the complexities of the back end or do you want to just throw up a Webflow site or a WordPress site or a Squarespace site? Which one do you want to do type thing? Because what's the goal there? Is the goal you're passionate about dog leashes for some reason and you also want to sell them? Or is the goal that you built a custom felt site that you struggled to put up and you know, the journey was crazy and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So you really have to do look at your goals and look at are these complexities needless? Because in 2023 and going into 2024, 
these, you know, these websites, e-commerce site, the blog, and just a basic site are all completely doable with very simple services or very simple, you know, just FTPing files up. So if you do let needless complexities inject themselves into your projects, I'm sure we've all done it. I'm sure I've done it, right? Because it's easy for them to weasel their way in. What are the side effects of them being in the project? Well, it could potentially scare away new talent. You're trying to hire somebody and you literally tell them, well, we got this crazy system where we have an old enterprise CMS that we couldn't update anymore because we custom coded it. So then we have to do the updates on it. Um, you know, we basically had to like fork it and we had to make plugins for it and everything's completely custom. No one knows what's going on. Half our people are retiring. Would you like to work here? Uh, probably not. So there's one thing. Just to expand on that point, this is actually a really important point uh, for this. As soon as you go outside of the mainstream, as soon as you go outside of like the things that people are hiring for and you add on tools, you start to lower your hiring pool and you start to essentially up the amount of money you might have to pay for each person that you hire. So you have – every time you make the, a decision in terms of a tech stack and in terms of adding a library, maybe not a library, but like adding a framework and then adding – a, a, a CMS tool and then adding this open source thing and that open source thing on top of it, it down your, down your entire line. I think this should be a consideration where like you're adding this needless complexity. Not only are you making it harder for you to build stuff, uh, even if you really like this tool for whatever reason, you're making it very hard for you to maintain and hire for it. Like if you're done, like if it's just you working on it forever and you're okay with it going down, you know, in a year or two, then it's a different conversation. But if you're like a, a hiring you're a tech lead or you're an engineering manager and your goal is to grow your team over the next three years. Every decision that you make in this space, in this realm, should be very much considered of a company changing decision. If you choose a framework that's dying rather than a framework that's thriving or like the, the biggest one in the, in, the, in the space, that is a big decision. Who are you going to hire? Who you're going to hire for your open source enterprise CMS that has the last main, the last maintenance date is like three years ago? Who is going to be there? Like, how are you even going to put a job rec for that? Like, all these things should be part of the consideration. It's a really good point because if if especially if the actual framework is dying, not only is probably some custom work going to have to be done to maintain the thing, but also you're going to have people that maybe don't have their finger on the pulse of the industry as well. And so they need to be, and so they, they don't care what's living or dying. They're just there for the paycheck. So you might get some people that, you know, aren't contributing to the team as much as you would like, because they're just there like, Oh, like whatever. Like I'm just here because, you know, you know, X like Matt's framework is, is, you know, that that's what I work on. Oh, it's dying. Oh, okay. Whatever. They stick around for a couple months and then they just leave. Uh, and you also might get people that aren't as passionate about the industry because they don't look at, you know, they don't look into it. And I'm not saying that you need to be super passionate or go into a job for more than money. I'm not saying that, but it is something to consider that you might be getting some, some of the leftovers of like people that have applied to a million and one places and other, pe other people have beat them out and getting hired and getting hired. And then you're getting, you know, whatever's left, whoever is left over and they don't care. They don't even know what framework it is. They'll just kind of like learn it and maybe deal with it and maybe they'll just move on in a couple of months or something. Bloated and confusing learning materials is the next side effect here. And that is because obviously if you start custom coding into frameworks or whatever that are dying, then yeah, you're going to get some bloated and confusing learning materials because usually it's just, you know, a senior dev has gone in there, done some core changes, and then maybe hopefully documented it to some extent, but documented it just for them. There probably hasn't been peer reviews on the documentation. There probably hasn't been a lot of peer reviews and decisions on and decision making done before the core change was done. It was done in the moment just to get things working. And so bloated and confusing learning materials are going to cost you money because new talent's going to be struggle, going to struggle to be onboarded, but it's, it's also going to be more difficult for you to, um, it's going to be more difficult for you 
to say, spin somebody up. Somebody else might be a senior dev on like one team and you're like, oh shoot, would you mind helping this other guy's on, on vacation? And then they go look and they go, I don't know what any of this writing is. Like, I don't understand any of these materials. So downtime could be increased and those type of things. So it can cost you money. Difficulties making accurate quotes and work timelines is also a huge one. So if you're an agency that's using something that's super complex, that has a lot of moving parts, and you don't have the staff really to man it, and you don't have the staff and to the 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 staff with the the skill sets to run everything perfectly, you are going to have trouble making accurate quotes. You may quote way too low. You may tell them that you're going to be done work in three weeks, and it takes three months. It's going to be really difficult for you to make quotes and making quotes is already difficult. Mike and I have had problems with scope creep in quotes where we end up at the end of the project realizing, wow, we got paid just like a dollar an hour, you know, not not to quote Napoleon Dynamite. But like, seriously, though, it's (laughs) like sometimes it's literally like a dollar an hour. So making accurate quotes. And work timelines is crucial for both your customers to know what's going on, but also to know how much they should pay and how much to expect when they call upon you. And if your stuff is super complex and, you know, you might get stuck just installing it for days and days and days and days and days, I mean, that's not good. And that is a side effect of a needless complexity. Also, constant refactoring of the company workflow to make things easier. So you add, let's say you have some needless complexities that come in and you think, okay, well, we'll build project one. It's our first project ever. We do it. There were a lot of problems. You're like, okay, cool. We're going to refactor our workflow. You go through the next one. Okay. We need to refactor our workflow and you constantly refactor. If you're refactoring to make things better, that's great. But sometimes you're refactoring because you added a whole bunch of these needless complexities. And this is costing you additional time and training materials to be re, re, rebuilt, rewritten, whatever. Also, you now have inconsistency in your support plan. So if you are an, a web agency that offers support plans to your clients, each of your projects now are a little bit different and they need a little bit different support, a little bit different tooling, different skills. And this can also be a problem. Mike and I have run into this problem because we will build things for people as their kind of goals, as their budget, as their needs kind of align. And so we'll go in and sometimes you're fixing Couch CMS. Sometimes you're fixing some random WordPress site. Sometimes you're fixing some intranet site. And it's it's kind of crazy like that. But if you let needless complexities sort of infiltrate you're going to be constantly refactoring to try to make things better, assuming that's assuming you're trying to make things better. You're going to be constantly refactoring and needlessly, which is unfortunate. And the last one here is longer troubleshooting periods. So if something's really complex, you know, you might go, okay, something's wrong here. I got to troubleshoot it. Is it the cache? Is it the load balancer? Is it the host? Is it the update? Did we renew all the services? Is it a plugin? Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? There's a lot of questions. If you were to upload, like literally FTP up a project, HTML and CSS, when there's a problem, it's just, it's usually just a few questions. Is it the domain? Is it the host? Is it my layout? And that, those are your, those are your sort of three primary questions. If you add something that is more or less consumerized, like WordPress, self-hosted WordPress, if you add that, you go, okay, is it the host? Is it my PHP version? Is my WordPress corrupt? Is it my plugins? Did anyone change? You know, there's, there's a list of additional questions that you, that you have to go through to figure out what's going on. Is it my cache? Is it this? Is it that? Did anyone change the theme? Did so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot more questions. And so these complexities can really make these questions snowball. And make the troubleshooting last forever. Now, we've talked about these complexities and why it's important to avoid them. But how do you avoid them? And we're going to talk about that now. So, realistically, we talked about this before in this episode, but it's important to note once again. And that is that you really need to boil down your goals to their most basic and vital forms. Superfluous parts of your goals adds a superfluous complexities. If you're a company that says, well, you know, we really need this website up, blah, 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 blah. But it would be really nice to, for some reason, have a custom made clock at the top of our thing. That custom made clock or those custom animations, that's a super common one. Those custom animations that you got your developer to do, 
usually take the longest to make, the longest to troubleshoot, the longest to make performance, more than a lot of the other parts of projects, like displaying the content and getting it working and getting the layout running running nice. Those superfluous pieces of the goal really should be, you know, left and you go, okay, it's more important that these blog posts load properly. The content is clear. You know, the content we're writing is hopefully important to whomever is reading it. Let's get those done. And then if we'd like, we can add some complexities if we think they're not needless. Overall, this kind of contributes to this next one is sort of related to this next one, I suppose, is that is choose the right tool for the job. This concept has been, I think we've probably said it in this episode, but obviously it bumps up against a bunch of these ways to avoid needless complexities. Choosing the correct tool for the job, which means that you're avoiding a tool based solely on price. If you're a person that goes, hey, this is cheap, this is free, let's use it, and that's the reason why we're using it, not good. That's a piece of the decision making. Not good if that's the only piece. You need to take a look at how that tool works and if it's going to work for you. This is similar to avoid sunken cost fallacy. When you're choosing the right tool for the job, if you're like, meh, well, you know, we we, we already purchased uh, or we're a Google Enterprise blah, blah, blah member. This is just made up. And we already have Google Sites. They're allowing us to make unlimited Google Sites. Let's do it. And we've, I've worked on a site like this where it was all just embedded custom code to try to get it to run because they only looked at the sunken cost fallacy of, we already have Google sites though. Like we, we already have Google sites. We may as well use it. And then it's like, yeah, but the capabilities of Google sites, like the idea of Google sites is not what they were doing. And it's like, I'm going to add a whole bunch of custom JS just to like kind of bandaid this in. It's not going to look good. Like, this is going to be a mess. And it was a mess. And then, of course, next week, they contact me. How do I get, how do I allow the people that work here to edit it? Well, do they know HTML and CSS? Because if they don't, they're not going to really, not really, not really going to be able to do that. Because again, sunken cost fallacy. You were, you were more worried about the whatever it was, $15 that you spent or the fact that it was free to use this tool. And so, now we have problems. Now, now your, now your staff can't edit it. So now you got to call me every time. It's a mess. What basically I'm saying here is that you need to consider all aspects of the tools that you're choosing in order to choose the right tool for the job. You need to also consider some human things like their capabilities, like the skills of your, of your team. It, that's really important. The familiarity. Some people are super familiar with WordPress and so they're familiar with every single error. They know how to debug it super fast. So even though it's complex, it's super fast for them to do. So you need to take those into consideration and don't be afraid to choose something new. If something is ticking all the boxes and seems like it's really, really good, maybe it is something you should consider. You shouldn't, once again, be thinking about that sunken cost fallacy or being like, oh, let's just stay on, you know, whatever platform because that's what we're comfortable with. Sometimes you do have to go to another tool. This is another one that we experience a lot too, and that's downsizing. So we downsize people's online, online presence or not their online presence. They, we maintain their online presence, but we downgrade their technological presence. What I mean by that is somebody will have like a thousand tools. And we've mentioned this earlier in the episode where they're literally paying like a thousand dollars a month for all these licenses. We go in there, we find out they're not, they don't even know the login to have this stuff. They don't even know what it is. They weren't, they weren't sure what it was when they bought it. So we go in there, we, we just turn it all off, turn it all off. If there's plugins involved in WordPress that connect to it, we shut those off too. And we just save this person, you know, thousand bucks or whatever. And we are downsizing them. Now, some people hate this because they think, oh, I'm downsizing. Like, that's like, why would I downsize? Like, that's, you know, that's kind of shameful. Makes it look like my business is doing bad. We're not downsizing your presence. You're not using this stuff. So go, like, go ahead and downsize. There's no shame in going from a fully custom solution to a Shopify store. If your goal is to sell things and you're having a heck of a time with your custom e-commerce solution from 15 years ago that you've been supporting forever, and it is just breaking down to the point where it is absolutely unsustainable, and you look around and Shopify ticks every single one of your boxes, but you're like, no, I'd rather spend $150,000 for a custom developer to make me a custom. Why would you do that? Go to a Shopify. Go to Shopify. They'll handle all this stuff. Don't be afraid to downsize things. I've literally lived this situation where <laughs> like I've had to convince people that like, listen, this custom solution for e-commerce is actually costing you X amount of money every month. 
like like could be hundreds of thousands of dollars because you're spending a bunch of money on developers to maintain and rink this rinky dink solution. You've already lost all the original developers. A big indicator for me is like, have is anyone that built the system here, this custom system, or is this just a bunch of developers that are here that are trying to like keep it together like Spider-Man keeping together two trains with like a bunch of row, like, you know, a, a bunch of the webs going everywhere. Like, that's when you should start thinking about downsizing that, or that's where you should start thinking about going to an easier solution, rebuilding and avoiding that sunken cost fallacy, right? Like if you've lost everyone that's built the system, there's no one there that the original knowledge, you're going to have a bad time, just reality wise. And it's okay to go to a simpler solution, even if at some point you're like, hey, we need to simplify and then we can rebuild it custom with a new team, whatever, like whatever your thought is, because whatever you need it, it's okay to go down and then to move back up rather than to continue to maintain a legacy system just for the sake that it was built one time 10 years ago. And you don't want to, you want to avoid spending quote unquote extra money, even though it's going to cost you extra money down the line. That's a good question, Mike. Is is anyone that built this thing still here, yeah. or is like you know at least the apprentice of the person? I guess because some of these, especially enterprise systems, are so old and they've just been patched and patched and patched and patched to the point where many of the people may have retired at this point. But it just gets to the point where it is unsustainable. You know, there is a reason why people purchase new cars because cars will become unsustainable if they're absolutely ridiculous. If it's every single time you go to the shop and it's two or three thousand dollars, it becomes okay. No more of this. We're moving on from this. And that's exactly that's, that's exactly true. There's no nothing wrong with downsizing. It doesn't mean your presence and your brand has to get diluted. That's not the point. That's not the case. And also, I would like to say that back in the day, if you if you custom coded your e-commerce, maybe you absolutely needed to do that. Now, it's just the modern way is not to do that necessarily. And there's no shame in going to the, you know, the canned, the pre-made, whatever you want to call it, solution, because that solution didn't exist when you made your custom thing. It's just a different way of doing things. And the last thing here on how to avoid needless complexities is wish list scaling. So when Mike and I were making a game with a game developer, we made these things called the GDD, a game design document. And we would make sort of you list all the stuff you want. And then there's sort of a division in it in a way in which you say these are the sort of the MVP. These are the things that are going in the game. And these are the wish list items. These are the things in the future that we might do that would be cool to have, but it doesn't contribute to the main goal of the game. The game is playable with like without these things, without these wish list things. And I think wish list scaling kind of plays into this. And that is that, you know, complexities are easy to add in the name of scaling and future proofing. So people will go, well, I, you know, what if I, what if I hit 10 million people? Like I, I can't use Webflow. I, what if I hit 10 million? 10 million people every month hit my site. I'm going to, you know, overrun their plans and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm overrunning whatever it's set to. What am I going to do? So I'm going to go on AWS and get a big old, big old custom solution and then serve that to 300 customers each month for the next 10 years and then realize, oh, I never hit 10 million. I hit 350. So really what you should be doing is you should you should be scaling down your wish list like or rather you should be taking the the scale argument and the future proofing argument and you should wish list some of those things scaling in that is not always the justification to make things super complex it is not always the justification to spend the most money it is important to determine how realistic your scale is for example you may have been planning to add e-commerce to your site for a decade and you used up your site to the point where you need a website refresh and then in the website refresh, you still don't have e-commerce and you're still talking about it. I mean, your previous site that you're now refreshing was probably more complex in the name of we might add e-commerce and now you're 10 years later, you need a new site and you might need e you might need e-commerce. Maybe e-commerce is a wish list item that should be you know, brought up to the web developer, but then maybe mentioned as we've also been talking about this for 10 years <laughs> and we've never done it. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we'll go to a platform in which you could add e-commerce, but we're not going to add those plugins because they're just going to sit there idle or even turned off for no reason. So that's something that I think a lot of places need to consider. Now, there's a bit of a devil's advocate. The final section of the show here, Mike brought it up. It's a good point. Last, you know, last minute he actually brought it up. 
And I'm glad he did because there are times in which adding needless complexities makes sense. To an extent, of course. But let me explain. So based on your own experience, a needless complexity might actually be something that is easier. So for example, if you just got out of a boot camp, let's say, and you only know headless CMSs, you know, p- choose your poison, and react. That's the only thing you know. And you know it really well. You've been practicing it. It's fresh in your mind. You've been building portfolio projects on it. And you can troubleshoot it really fast because you've been through the ringer with them. Maybe something that is objectively simpler, like HTML, CSS, and JS. I, I don't know if I'd say it's objectively simpler. I would say that it's commonly seen as objectively simpler. So go HTML, CSS, and JS. But to you, it's not simple. That's the point here. You may take longer and probably will take longer to troubleshoot the vanilla code and to develop new de- vanilla code than you would this more complex headless CMS plus React because you have less experience. So sometimes familiarity can win. I would like to say that you shouldn't r- go running with this. Sometimes you are the wrong person for the job. Mike and I have discussed several times how if a bank were to come to us and go make us a web app, I am not taking that job. I don't know enough about security. We only have two people here. We are not the right person for that job. So sometimes you might be like, I only know this and this. It's going to cost you $1,500 a month. That over there, that web agency can make it for you and it'll be $150 a month. It's a tenth of the price. Go to them. You know, $1,500 versus $150. Go to them. And we've done that. We've said, hey, we're not the right person for this job. Sorry, we think you need to go to a graphic designer. Hey, sorry, we're not the right person for the job. We think you need this. Because at the end of the day, the person might get a little upset that you wouldn't take their job. But they're going to be really upset if you take their job and you're not the right person for it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And I, and I think like familiarity does like way greatly in your choices but it shouldn't be the only thing you consider every time either, right? Like familiarity is just one of those like things that should be like, okay, I, I'm familiar with this. I can do it quickly, but maybe this technology is better. Maybe the simpler way is better. Like you should weigh other options. Just always have familiarity as one of the bigger grounding points for you in your choices, because depending on how quickly you need to do something, it's usually going to win out. The reality is like if you know something really – like if you can spin up a site uh, and have it deployed using the technology that you know really, really quickly. Like you know – again, go back, going back to like GitHub pages or Vercel. You know, how to, you know how to interface with it. But you don't know FTP. Like you've never spun up uh, an Apache server or you never worked with like a cPanel and you don't know how to you don't know how that process works even though it is objectively simpler or not objectively i guess subjectively simpler it it is simpler in a sense that it's just a very simple process to you it could be complex and it could be a, a step back so that it kind of doesn't make sense so like it, it some some people struggle with ui versus cli and cli versus ui it is correct. you know that is it is commonly presented that is it is objectively simpler to use a gui a gui but some people will say that that is more difficult than a CLI. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay, in my opinion. Those kinds of arguments, it's, it's fine. Like, you're, you're not, no one's gaining a, a world ahead of you on a CLI versus GUI argument. You know what I mean? Like, maybe <laughs> yeah. someone can type super quickly on a CLI, but they're not, you know, a, all of a sudden the best developer in the world just because they're a CLI expert or a GUI expert. It, it does become a little bit more problematic, like Matt mentioned, when, you try to take on a job that you're it just doesn't fit into your skill portfolio or into your tech stack right like yeah it, it then it becomes more of an issue where you should start to consider either learning another thing using another thing and maybe not letting familiarity win in that situation so like yeah it's it's very subjective oh this whole conversation is very subjective like it's 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 very dependent on what where you are in your development career like we talked earlier and earlier before we started the episode with matt where like a back-end developer doing a little bit of front-end to other to a lot of people they would use something that's extremely needlessly complex like a java back-end that's serving html files like to to most web developers that's a ridiculously ridiculous needless complexity 
But to a backend dev that's only worked in Java, it's the exact opposite. To him, spinning up a JavaScript application like in, in Next.js or React is the needless complexity or even writing simple JavaScript files, HTML and CSS, when he could just do all that stuff in his Java backend is the needless complexity. So like, it's just, it's very subjective. It all depends on where you're at in your career, what you're doing currently. And it it's important to just consider it when you're making decisions, when you're in the spot, when you're like, okay, we're deciding what tech stack to do. Should we do this just for the fact that it's available? No, that's not, that's not a good enough reason. It's a good, it's a good point. Yeah. A lot of the stuff we are saying is subjective, you know, and there's some things that will objectively make things more complicated. Like if you're like, I'm going to add load balancing. It's like, that is just more complicated because like there wasn't a load balancer before. (laughs) So like maybe we shouldn't add a load balancer if we have 200 people going to the site a month. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure at $2 and 95 cent, literally, Hosting plan sometimes if it's on sale, especially Black Friday, two hundred two dollars and ninety five cent hosting plan per month could probably sustain that. Should be all right. But when I say that, there's a nuance there. What are those people doing? Are they doing massive calculations? Oh, well, shared hosting is not going to work. So there's always a gray area. Is the point? But that's it. That concludes this episode. Remember, if you want to support episodes like this, we are on Patreon. That is Patreon.com/slash/html. All the things, and we also have a Scrimba link. Go check that out. It gives you a discount. If you click it, it will take you to a page. You can purchase a Scrimba plan on a discount. Remember that Scrimba is a learning platform with an interactive code editor media player. So go check that out. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff Vickale. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Gunner Burnett via gunnerburnett.com. Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. Garrett Segal and Level Up Financial Planning via Level Up Financial Planning, or excuse me, via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform. You're listening to this on. Oh, wait, hang on. I forgot something. We'd also like to give a shout out to Michael LaRocca, a contributing author on HTML, all the things.com. My apologies for that. Michael is the author of the self-taught, the X generation blog at self, self-taught txg.com. So now feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.